Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Brian Burkhart. Brian is the founder and president at Square Planet. Brian's other official title is Chief Word Guy. You might be wondering what that actually means. Well, Brian is a master at storytelling. In this episode, Brian shares his wisdom and expertise on the most important elements to include in every message you share, whether it's a sales presentation, a keynote speech, a company vision, or a fundraising pitch. Brian also shares his passion for why he believes it's so important in today's business world to stand out from the crowd, make waves, and plant a flag for what you believe in. If you enjoy listening to people with a sharp wit, a healthy dose of sarcasm, an off-the-chart sense of humor, and to top it all off, wicked brilliance, you're going to fall in love with this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brian Burkhart. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is Brian Burkhart, the founder, the president, and this, this is what I love so much, the chief word guy at Square Planet. Brian, it is awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Be more. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing really, really well. I've got to ask you a question before we get into all like the uh, educational stuff. So you've met my wife and... I had proposed. I love your wife. She's a spectacular lady. She, she is a wonderful lady. I'll make sure that uh, she listens to this podcast so she knows how much you adore her. When we, uh, a few years into our marriage, as we started to have the conversation about kids, uh, we both knew we inevitably wanted to, to, to be parents. And we had the, you know, the fun name conversation. As someone who I think really aligns to my belief system. We, we seem to, every, every chance we uh, have to talk to one another, we always seem to be mostly on the same wavelength, uh, as idiotic as, as we may be, if I can be so bold to say that. And when we had this name conversation, I had proposed, regardless if we were going to end up having boys or girls, that we wanted to have two, that I thought the most appropriate names to carry on the more tradition would be thunder and lightning. So as someone whose opinion I respect greatly, Brian Burkhart, what say you as the chief word guy about the names thunder and lightning? I can't think of much better. It's about as quality of a combination, a one-two punch as you can come up with. The only thing I think that would even be in the ballpark and it's reason enough to have kids, frankly, is I would have liked to have named mine offense and defense. And so I, I really think Thunder and Lightning is, is pretty much spectacular. I, I'm assuming that Jackie didn't agree with you. You know, she did not. She uh, not only did she not agree, um, uh, she let's just say she put her foot down. And uh, if my memory serves, uh, if I continued to really persist with the idea and, and demand it, uh, that divorce was likely uh, the follow-up action on her part. I'm going to say right now that I'm anxious to see her in the person because I'm going to tell her that she has dropped a peg, just a small peg, not a big one, a, a little mini notch, but my opinion of her has dropped ever so much. Thunder and lightning, it's kind of the jam. It's awesome. I, I think you should change the kids' names now. Don't get used to a new name. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that might not go over well. And 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 um, please don't think less of me or have me drop down a peg. If when you do decide, if you do, and follow through the next time you see her to let her know uh, that she has dropped a peg, uh, don't expect me to be behind you in the conversation. I- I'll be hiding. I understand that. Good of you. Well, you know what? Happy wife. Happy life. Amen. You know your station. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Well, now that we've uh, dispensed with the uh, the idiotic humor, uh, maybe we can share with our listeners some value, and, and let's let's aim for that. And I'll do my best to uh, to guide us along. But uh, as my audience knows, and those who have tuned into the podcast before, uh, I, I tend to. Uh, and I hope it shows, do quite a bit of research and make sure that I do a good job in guiding the conversation and providing some value to the listeners, uh, while also being open to some serendipity and just allow the conversation to flow as it may. And 
when I thought in particular about the time that we would share together, there's no one that I can think of uh, who would be more apt to simply go with the flow. And I could have actually started this podcast and said, Brian, it's great to have you on the show. I have absolutely no idea what we're going to talk about. I could have actually done that, and I think it would have been just as fun. Uh, I'm not doing that, but uh, but that's the kind of guy. That's how highly I think of you. I just want you to know that. Well, it means one of two things. I'm either dumb as a box of rocks or able to just deal with whatever nonsense you throw at me. It, it, to be determined, we'll know by the end. I guess so. We'll, uh, maybe we'll do some sort of an online vote afterwards, and I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> collect poll, it. And I'll, yeah, poll. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So – you know, what I really want to focus on, uh, you've been in the, what I'll call the storytelling space for the, the entirety of your career, at least as far as I can tell. And no, you're absolutely right. It's a very, very appropriate word choice. It's exactly right. And now at this point for a number of decades, I hate to admit, but yeah, I've been at this for a while. Are you saying that, uh, that you're not a young man anymore? Is that, is that what you're saying? I'm young in spirit, Brian. I am. I, I. I will probably still go to prom every year for a while because you know I like to dress up in tuxedos. But it's getting ever so inappropriate. Just saying. But yeah, I'm a young man in my own brain. Yeah, very young, you very know, young if, at heart. If you were showing up to prom, I, I'd certainly think that uh, you might fall into the creepy old man category. I, I hate to. I hate to say that, but uh, it's probably. True. I, I. I do. I go alone. Um, no. <laughs> I, I haven't been to prom. To give just a little minor indication of age, I haven't been to prom since 1988. Thank you very much. So did you not have a date for your junior and senior year? or That, that, that was my senior year, 1988, uh, back in the day. I'm just Stag kidding. Chargers. Go Chargers. I had a date. Her name uh, was Monica. I'll protect the last name. Um, it was kind of a cool story. I got pickpocketed in downtown Chicago. We were out to dinner, and here we are, you know, young prom couple and all of a sudden I go to pay the bill and I have nothing, not a dollar, not oh, a dime, nothing. Boy. Oh boy. And the tables around us very quickly realize what's going on and much to the delight of humankind, pretty much anyone in earshot, all the tables were like, I got you brother, whatever, whatever. And, you know, we were 18. There was no booze. We probably had an appetizer and a couple entrees. It was probably 40 bucks, if that. And it was the kind of thing where um, the manager of the restaurant, his name also, by the way, Brian, I remember course. this? Of course. He had, he, somehow he immediately caught on. He pulls me to the side and basically goes, the bill is taken care of. Here's 100 bucks in cash. What else do you need? Wow. And I was just like, you are the man. Wow. Very and honestly, that's a story, speaking of storytelling, that I use all the time. It has actual appropriate resonance in the world of business. And it's one of those kind of things that when you really stop and look at what happened there, any number of bad outcomes could have happened, but this one was spectacular. And here we're talking 1988, it's 2016, yet I'm still talking about that. That restaurant no longer exists, but it was part of the Let Us Entertain You uh, restaurant group. And to this day, I find myself being much more akin and able to say good things about lettuce restaurants because of that kind of personal interaction. And I don't remember the date. I don't remember the guy's last name. I couldn't tell you what the bill was. But the story has enough essence that still stands the test of time that it elicits enough emotional thing in me that it affects my behavior. That's the key about stories. When told effectively, done the right way, when the parallels are built the right way, you can change people's beliefs, behaviors, and overall outcomes. Very powerful. So there's a part of the story here that, uh, and maybe it's just my a juvenile mind went, uh, was Monica impressed and impressed enough? Did you get lucky? This is my favorite part of the story. Um, not for what you think. So Monica was total smoking hottie. I was um, pretty much way out in front of my skis on this one, mostly because it was my senior year, but ready for this one. She's a college girl. Hello. Oh, I, um, oh, yeah, baby. And so I was like, I am the man. I, I don't even remember the details, but somehow, some way, I had sniffed out the fact that if I asked her, she was going to say yes. What I didn't know was that she was saying yes only because she sort of wanted to come back to her old high school. Was, that's why I knew her. We all went to school, high school together, but she had already graduated. Um, and so she just wanted to go back and 
relive, you know, glory days all over again. So I asked her, she says, yes, I pick her up. She looks just like drop dead, gorgeous smoking. Um, and it's one of those kind of things where, um, I, I didn't really know the outcome going in. Um, and the next thing, you know, it's time to kind of call it a night. And she gives me a handshake, not even a hug, handshake, handshake, handshake. Wow. When you said hand, I was quite unsure of what the next syllable of that word was going to be. And shake, shake was not (laughs) where my mind went. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately that's not where my mind wanted things. (laughs) Uh, I guess we just lost the whole PG rating of the podcast right there, but, uh, such is life. Sorry, iTunes. No, well, you know, what are you going to do? The, uh, you know what's interesting about that story, uh, besides all of the, uh, the way in which you tell it, is the goodness of humanity and the people that were around you, which I'm guessing yeah. were not your classmates, were probably others who were out for a normal night to dinner with their spouse or with their family and saw this young man and this young woman and, and a young man in particular in distress. And the goodness of humanity really... Uh, came to the rescue, which is it's just a really cool thing given, uh, well, at least the world we live in today certainly uh, yep. seems to have lost a little of that goodness. It's one of my favorite parts, actually. And we really were so remarkably obvious. We were the only young people in the entire restaurant. It was a very hot, cool restaurant in downtown Chicago in one of those like funky, off-the-way kind of spots. And so it was a, a super jammed kind of rocking Saturday evening. And here we are, this young couple, guy in a tuxedo, girl in a prompter. And she really was, I'm, I'm sure she still is. I haven't seen her in forever, but she was a very, very beautiful lady. And so we just really stood out, which is why when we were on the sidewalk waiting to go in and the dude bumped into me, I thought nothing of it. That was when I got pickpocketed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was the kind of thing that we, we, we were being talked to by the tables all around us. Knowing what I know now, those people were all probably mid to late 20s to mid to late early 30s. And we're all, I'm sure, laughing, reminiscing, having fun, thinking about their own timetable on that stage of their life. And so it was, it was awesome. And looking back, it was really awesome of all of those strangers to immediately say, I got you. And then for the manager to say with such non-wiggle um, room, I didn't say that very effectively, but you know what I mean. It was like he didn't give me a choice. Bill's paid for. Here's a hundred bucks. Shut up. What else do you need? It was just that that strength of character of all those people that I still think about today. And and you know honestly, it's a story that really does resonate on lots of weird levels. Nailed it. The humanity of it was truly off the charts. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a better story than the thunder lightning uh, story I chose to kick things off with. So uh, you've you've you've. How do you like uh, how how do you like offense and defense? I think I, there's a certain je ne sais quoi to that idea. I like offense and defense a lot. Um, you know, I immediately thought, I tell you, is are you almost uh, sort of creating one's destiny by calling them offense and defense? One who's going to be incredibly aggressive and one who's going to more, you know, sort of play it safe and uh, be a, a bit more analytical. Like is offense going to be your your star salesperson, charismatic leader? And is the defense going to be like, is that person just destined to be no offense to uh, to our accounting type minds, but a CFO? You know, I, I just wonder, does a name actually have that kind of implication in one's life? Well, clearly Brian's rise at the top. So I think there's some – God, I mean, hello. <laughs> I, you know, it depends. It's, it's not like the names would be offensive and defensive. It's offense and defense. So I, I don't know. Maybe. Don't yeah, know. maybe. Maybe. Maybe we should have kids and figure this one out. Well, you know, uh, if you decide to go down that road no. – uh, All right. Fair enough. Then I'll, I'll reserve this. Well, I'm an old man. Not happening. So I feel it's appropriate because you are a master of storytelling, a master of presentations. How, how do you describe, if I ask the question, who is Brian Burkhart? Do you have an answer for that? Wow. I've never thought about that. I, I would say that, um, wow, off the top of my head, the way I would describe me typically to people is I'm a incredibly passionate business owner who wants to make waves in the world. Everything that we do, the purpose behind the work that we take on every single day, 
Um, it's so incredibly personal to me. We are so purpose and mission driven and it all comes from inside of me. And so the work that we do is a mirror of those passions. Um, it's really about making waves. I think what I want to do is change the scope of business today. Uh, on May 20th of 1980, Microsoft made its very first acquisition. It was a small little company that had this software that allowed people to create slides, virtual slides, if you will, that you could project and have presentations around. We know that today as PowerPoint. Um, and since that happened in 1980, the utter destruction of the human's ability to connect and to have one-on-one -on -one deep emotional connections truly based around stories has been compromised. And so I want to lead a revolution that says, let's put the humanity back into business communications. We've made things so benign, so vanilla, so chart, graph, data centric. It's so bad. And unfortunately, it is just ubiquitous. It's the standard bearer of things. And it's just wrong. It's not how we're wired. We are hardwired, hardwired, biologically speaking, to react best to stories. It's the one thing that truly separates us and makes us actually human. It's how we learn. It's how we connect as family members. It's how we do things in great, deep detail. It's about stories. And yet somehow, some way, we've gotten away from it. And so when people want to know what I'm all about, I would say that's a pretty darn good description right there. And if you start looking at the way I attack life and the things that I do and the people like you that I put in my life, it's very specific. I'm quick to rid myself of people that don't see things or the world in that same way through that same lens. You and I wouldn't be friends if you thought I was full of just nothing but hot air and bupkis. You are a storyteller as well. It's how you communicate best to the world. And so it's one of those things that I'm always on that search for like-minded individuals and clients and opportunities but it's truly uh, this basic core idea of making waves, of doing things ever so differently, standing out from the crowd, and ultimately being heard. Do you think part of the reason, and thank you very much for the kind words, do you think part of the reason why humanity, as you put it, has lost our ability to inject the emotion, the humanness in our stories, is it because – I'm just – I'm going to throw out a theory. You tell me. I, I have no doubt you, you have a theory of your own that we've privileged data as the central part of the story as opposed to using it as fertilizer to really make the emotion of the story grow. Use data as a support, not as the central theme. Is that part of it? Because I mean, the reason I, I throw that out, you look at any, whether it's a PowerPoint presentation or a Prezi or whatever the, the, the vehicle is to present, you know, it's almost overrun with words and, and, as you put it, graphics and data and stats as opposed to the focus on the person sharing the message. Is that part of the problem, this, this over-reliance and privileging of data? I would say it's absolutely part of it. I am of the belief that the reason people use data and the information overload is really because we're all afraid of being judged poorly. If you really stop and consider what's going on, it's a very unnatural act. Anytime you do any kind of a presentation, whether it's internal, external, things like this podcast, frankly, I mean, it seems strange, but even stuff like the lobby, the interior of a hotel or at a restaurant when they bring the food out, all of these things are, in fact, presentations, and we judge them. And so in the world of business, no one ever wants to be judged negatively or poorly. I don't want to be the dumb guy. I don't want to be the guy that's just okay at my job. I don't want to be the guy that, eh, don't give it to him because he's just the, the B player. We all want to have that certain status or position or have people think of us a certain way. And so as presentations and that form of communication has had more and more and more of a focus and a spotlight, I'm of the belief that people have run behind things like data points and information as a way of putting themselves out to the world of saying, see, look at all the stat, look at all the info, look at all the bullet points that I have created to prove my case, so judge me properly. And yet what they've done is then rely on these data points and these bad tactics, and so we're going to judge you anyway, and we're going to be bored, and we're going to sit there and think, this sucks, and I can't get out of here fast enough. And there may be some halo effect for sure, 
But if you think about the best presenters, the best presentations, the people we feel so strongly about, they tell stories. They're full of energy. They're great at having conviction and connection. We're totally engaged. And we could kind of give a crap about the data points. And the judgment that we have towards those people is super high in a positive way. So it's this weird counterintuitive thing. People hide behind those data points when they really shouldn't. It's a really interesting way of, uh, of, of putting it. Um, you know, you shared with me some advice once. I was giving a presentation and knowing. Was it about drinking heavily? <laughs> no, that was the other one. Uh, oh, gosh, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no problem. You're con- you must be confusing me with, with, with another Brian in your life. Um, you shared something with me that I thought was really interesting, and I had never given it any consideration, never even entered my mindset, is uh, I was asking you just some last-minute advice for, for a really big presentation. And you said, Brian, one thing I want you to remember, when you get up there and you're feeling all alone and you're in the spotlight and you've got a room full of people waiting to hear what you have to say, remember this. They're all rooting for you to win. It was such a, I can't tell, it has stayed with me to this day. And I think it's a really valuable piece of advice because, listen, you know, we all know that public speaking is a fear for most, if not all people. And the fact- Called glossophobia. Is that what it has? Okay, great. It has a formal name. I didn't even know that. Glossophobia. Glossophobia. Yeah, no T, two S's. Glossophobia. Uh, considered to be the strongest fear next uh, before dying even um, up to 20 some percent 27 percent I think is the stat of Americans will admit to having a certain amount of glossophobia some at a very high level but yeah for sure big deal so when you're meeting with uh, a CEO an author uh, an entrepreneur who has a great idea I mean a great idea what steps do you go through? What framework do you use and what you can share with us without maybe giving any of your trade secrets away? How do you help somebody through the art of communicating what is a great idea into a great story? Well, I love this question. And first and foremost, I would tell you that everyone is very welcome on this podcast to go to squareplanet.com. That's square planet. Think round earth. And uh, we have a, a ton of free resources, including an e-guide to being a great communicator, a great presenter that you can download for the low, low price of nothing that will break down all these steps. We've got a ton of videos, a ton of blogs, all kinds of material on there. And so I'm very uh, quick to give away these trade secrets. There's a couple of parts, and there's just a few number one things I will tell you that you got to do. First and foremost, number one, by far is you have to understand what it is you stand for. You have to know what it is that you believe in. And a great example is just a few minutes ago, I told you that I'm here. My purpose is to make waves. My core belief is that not everyone should be working with us. Not everyone should be a Square Planet client because we want those that really truly want to be heard, the ones that should be separate from the pack, the ones that should have their arms and ears raised to say, listen to me. You want to remember me. And not everybody wants to be that way. And so that's our first and foremost, our core belief is to make some waves. And if you can't communicate your core beliefs, why you exist, what your purpose is, right from the get-go, we could kind of care less. Um, There's a guy that I know you and I have talked about at length that I have actually worked with that you have seen, we both met. His name is Simon Sinek. For a while, he was a very hot uh, author, lecturer, um, and just kind of created something so simple, so sublime. And really, it's an old theory that he's so well codified, and it's called the Golden Circle. His book and his talk and everything has this title that really explains it all, and it is Start With Why. It's not the letter why, it's the word why. His concept is, is that the vast, vast, vast majority of people communicate by telling what and how first, and if we're lucky, they'll get to why. What Simon wants us to do is reverse the model. It's to start with why, then tell us how, and then tell us what. The really great communicators, those brands and companies and individuals that we all wrap our arms around and that really take hold of our consciousness, those brands, people, and and ideas always start with why. They tell us what their purpose is first. 
And so for all the CEOs and all the founders and all the lecturers and all the authors and all the people that we work with all the time at very much an organization level, but certainly an individual level, we always say, you've got to start with why. Now, this is an incredibly difficult thing. I would tell you that the ability to do this um, is few and far between. It's honestly the reason we get paid for most of the work we do is because we can codify it for, for people and companies in a matter of mere moments when it could take them, honestly, for forever. And so it's not easy. But that's the first thing. The next thing, Bri, and this one's way easier, and I really highly recommend this to people, even though it sounds fairly straightforward, almost sophomoric in its simplicity, I believe that that's why it works so much. This goes back to the ancient Greeks, and I'm talking like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. They, um, they understood this better than anyone. They used the words ethos, pathos, and logos, which talked about head, heart, and gut. And we translate that today in English to know, feel, and do. Know is with a K. And I want everyone, when they give a presentation, write a blog, create a video, create a website, whatever it is, I want them to answer these three simple questions. What do I want the audience to know, again with a K, what do I want them to feel, and what do I want them to do? If you can answer all three questions, and it could be in any order, and you could have multiples, you can have multiple do's, multiple feels, multiple no's. If you answer all three of those questions and start your presentation with your core purpose, I absolutely guarantee you that you will be successful and effective. I'm not guaranteeing that you will be the world's greatest communicator. You may not get a gold medal in oration skills, but I promise you will be effective. And that's all it takes. That's all you need to do. It's that simple. So between the know, the feel, and the do, and answering what do you want the audience to know, what do you want the audience to feel, and what do you want them to do, if privileging one of those three in a presentation, if, if forced to privilege one of the three, which is the one you would lean on 100% of the time? Well... That's a tough question because it's one of the things where you've got to have the triplicate. You have to have the three-part harmony to truly be effective. I, I would tell you that I encourage our clients to lean on the feel because, believe it or not, the know, the data points, the nuts and bolts, it's just so natural. It just flows so easily that people don't even think about that. It just happens. The vast majority of presentations that all of us have suffered through, again, it could be a blog, it could be a website, it could be a video, whatever it is. Those are all presentations. They're, they're almost always all of the factoids, the no. That's easy. And so when I have people um, really spend time and effort on this exercise, it's to proactively consider what those feelings should be. And it's the kind of thing where I know that the no elements will automatically appear. If they can proactively put the feel elements in, we're getting much closer. And there have been a few things that have helped along the lines of things like Shark Tank, for example, where the do becomes a more natural part of the equation. Um, that typically is the hardest part for people, to ask the audience to do something. I'm asking you to sign this contract. I'm asking you to call my references. I'm asking you to get on my website and look around and see if there's anything you're interested in. That's really hard for people to do, um, but it's become much more of the norm. And so it's feel. I would say feel, for sure. Do you think the asking people to do something, is it just, uh, is it an afterthought? Do people just forget that they're supposed to ask? Or is it really a bit of a mental obstacle that uh, if, if, I, if I share with the audience what they need to know, I share with the audience how this is going to make them feel, that the natural thing well, they'll just figure out what to do. Is, is it that or is it that people just really do have a, a hard time asking? I think it's the latter, only because it goes back to this, this core concept of being judged. If I tell you what I want you to know and what I think you should feel, and then I ask you to do something about it, I'm now really running towards that unnatural place of asking you to judge me. Please sign this contract. If you sign it, that means you like me. You think my offer is good. If you don't sign it, you think I suck and I'm stupid and overpriced and blah, 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 blah. And so we as human beings, we individuate those ideas and concepts often wrongly and somehow think that it's a direct reflection on us as human beings, as personal, as personals uh, in our own personal mind. 
and that's not the case. I mean, I might offer your company some help on a presentation at X amount of dollars over a certain period of time, and you simply go, no, we can't afford that. Well, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means that your company can't afford my services. And yet somehow we make these weird connections in our brains. So I'm going to choose the latter. Well, all right. So I was on the Square Planet website, uh, as I've been on it before, poking around. And there's a couple of uh, things that really stand out for me. One is this metaphor uh, or, or, or this uh, sort of theme that you've chosen uh, about pirates. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe one of the sayings, if I'm, I'm recalling from memory because I'm not staring at it at the moment, but it said something to the effect of, why join the Navy when you can be a pirate. Now, I know you're not yep. dissuading people from uh, defending our country and uh, you know that has nothing to do with trying to talk people out of joining the Navy, but w where did this pirate thing come from and what's it all about? It's actually kind of a cool story. First and foremost, thank you. We are not trying to say uh, negative things about our armed forces and we're not encouraging people to go swashbuckle for the Caribbean drinking rum and um, you know, going to the Horn of Africa and taking over ships, none of those kind of things. Where it really started, the genesis of this whole story goes back a couple of years at this point now, um, when Steve Jobs was put in charge of this little ragtag group of hand-picked people to create this thing that no one had ever thought of or heard of called the Mac. The Apple computer had existed, but he had a whole different sort of idea of what he wanted. He wanted to completely break the mold. He wanted to shatter the status quo and do something totally different that would change the face of computing and ultimately the world. And so he grabbed a bunch of guys that he knew would be willing to break convention. He knew that these people would make waves. And so they got their group of people together and they got an office at the Apple campus, campus in California. And they quite literally hung a Jolly Roger flag, that's the skull and crossbones thing, on the Apple building for the world to see. Much to the dismay of many another person in the, the company, they weren't real pleased with this connotation of pirates. But one of the things that Steve did is the way he pitched it to people was that, that quote of, why would you want to be in the Navy when you could be a pirate? You get to break the rules and do it our way. And that symbolic pirating thing just goes right to the heart of our core belief of making waves of doing something that's outside the norm. And again, we're not trying to break laws. We're not scoff laws. We're not gangsters and bad people. It's not that kind of thing. It's just, if you look at the world of presentations and, and overall business communications at large, it is so largely same, same, same. It's benign, safe, boring crap that's void of beliefs and leaves you leaving, uh, just feeling flat and dismayed with no real sense of recognition about what's going on. It just doesn't work. And so we've built our whole business on this idea of let's just shatter the, the norm and do something totally different. So that's the pirating side of things. But I wish I can tell you it had a much more uh, bottle of rum filled, fueled fun, but it's not. It's just Steve Jobs. Well, that's a pretty good story nonetheless. And uh, well, I'd expect that out of you at this point. The other thing uh, I'd mentioned, there's two things. The other thing uh, actually as a, a bit of a part A and a part B is, you know, in visiting your site, there is an overwhelming sense of the color orange and there is this uh, Royal Order of the Orange uh, Lego Cufflink uh, Society, and I've probably butchered the hell out of that. Uh, so, two things: where did the orange come from, and why? Why orange? And two, yeah, what's, what's with this cufflink thing? Uh, these are both some of my favorite things in the world, believe it or not. So, orange, orange is the color of contrast. If you see a hunter in the fall go into a forest anywhere here in North America, they are typically bedecked in all things orange, from hat to vest to you name it. And that is so that uh, they stand out from their environment, so they achieve contrast from their environment and don't get shot by other hunters. If there happens to be an accident or some sort of construction or something going on in the world of traffic, you will often see things like orange safety cones or orange construction horses with flashing orange lights. Orange is the color that says, attention, notice me, 
this is outside the norm. And so uh, back in the day when we built this brand, it was very specific to go with the color of orange because it is the color of contrast. Um, ironically, I'm sitting in my office right now here in downtown Chicago, and um, we have very much bright orange walls. It's the orange, orange walled office. And um, my mom, a bunch of years ago is now when we had this little uh, kind of welcome party for our new office, you know, we had maybe, I don't know, 100 people here. And um, my mom got about three steps in the door and she looks around. She goes, Brian, what is with these hideous orange walls? When are you going to paint those? And I said, Mom, we just did. And so it's one of those kind of things where it, it is not for everyone. Our goal, and I believe the goal of business is not to work with everyone. It's to work with those that believe what you believe. And I want to work with people that believe in being noticed and having their message take hold and be heard in having contrast with the rest of the marketplace. So that's the color orange. The orange Lego cufflinks, Bri, these things are awesome. You should work towards getting a pair. You'd be a good member of the Royal Order of the Orange Lego Cufflink. It is a royal order. It is not just a simple club that you can join. You have to be asked to be part of the society. And the way it works is back in the day when we started the business, my wife, um, who's awesome like your wife, she wanted to uh, really just show me that she was proud and supportive. And she tried to find something that was square and orange. And that's a tough thing. And so uh, very cool, I thought. She came up with, I don't know how she found them, but she found orange Lego cufflinks. And I typically wear a lot of French cuff shirts, so it was perfect for me. Well, I started wearing these things, and it didn't take long. And pretty much every time I wore them, people were like, are those orange Lego cufflinks? In fact, they are. And so it started to have a little bit of a life of its own. And I had said to my team, to my employees, and I, I said something like, there's something to these. There's something cool here. We can make this into a club. And so it's kind of like, you know, every time we have a client who does something that we're proud of or that we do an engagement, maybe we get them some orange Lego cufflinks. And so we started talking about it. And then we realized that was just too easy. They had to have more gravitas. You wanted it to make it something that you earn or that you work towards that not everyone can get. And so we created the Royal Order. And what it came down to is if you are willing to work with us, if you're willing to go through the sausage grinder, that is the Square Planet methodology, if you come out successful on the back end, you should be able to be an amazingly effective communicator who can stand in front of a group of people, whether it's large or small, and tell us what it is you believe, what you stand for, and then on any given topic, be able to completely nail your no feel and do. If you can do that and you do it with us, we're going to give you admission into the Royal Order or the Orange Lego Cufflink. And it's symbolic in its nature because what we want you to do is every time you present, you wear those bad boys. As a reminder, it's sort of like a tattoo that says, this is what I'm all about. This is my jam. I can do this. I have core beliefs that I feel strongly about. I have my material, and I can nail it. And so it's really one of those things that it's very, very cool. We have an awesome board in our office. I'm looking at it right this second. With 13 members, um, we've got both men and women, some of some very high-caliber positions of very well-known companies. Um, but it's one of those kind of things that you have to earn it to get the Orange Lego cufflinks. And they're awesome. People love them. You know, the level of congruency amongst all of these physical assets that you have, as well as just the thought that's been put into how Square Planet operates is 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 truly impressive, truly impressive. And, and you and I have chatted oh, a number of times. Uh, I've never had this level of detailed conversation with you about many of these, uh, many of these pieces of your business, and it's uh, it's truly impressive. So, job well done, man. Job well done. I appreciate that. Well, you know what it comes down to, and I mean this very sincerely. And I, this is not for you and I necessarily, um, because we can talk about this stuff anytime. It's for your listeners. This idea of your core beliefs, this this notion of starting with why, this is everything. It's everything. The most successful companies, the most successful people are the ones who get this. And then they live by that notion in a very deep way. Our walls are orange, not just because it's our brand colors, but because it's a belief around contrast. 
It alerts our employees the moment they walk in. It certainly informs our clients and potential clients the moment they step foot in the door. And it's just one of the many ways that we communicate our beliefs. We quite literally design and frame all of our beliefs. They're all over our walls. I mean, I'm looking at like 10 of them right now. It's the kind of thing that our employee manual is nothing but beliefs. We have a whole section on our website that basically says, these are our beliefs. And they don't make a ton of sense. It's things that you go, huh, what's this? It's to elicit a conversation. It's to get people going. It's to find out if they believe the same thing. The goal of business is to work with those that believe what you believe. You got to know what it is you stand for and then communicate it from the rooftops. You want to eliminate those that don't believe the same things because it's not a good fit. It'll never be a good partnership. Business isn't for everyone. It's for those that believe what you believe. And it's a really cool thing, and it's fueled everything we've done. So over the course of, of your career in helping uh, CEOs and leaders and authors and entrepreneurs and other folks tell their stories, have you had any instances where – there's a particular client who is telling you everything it is you want to hear that they do believe what you believe. You start the relationship with them and it's just a bit of a grind the entire way. And you've come to realize that uh, they didn't necessarily believe what you believe. Have you had any of those circumstances over the past? I, absolutely. I can think of two right from the get go. The probably the um, two that are the most in interesting uh, the first one was Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, everyone knows the author, Malcolm Gladwell. We got to work with him, and it's the kind of thing where here's a guy who um, I, I, I don't even know, what, five, six, seven New York Times bestsellers, a guy who gets a quarter of a million dollars for every 60-minute keynote that he gives. I mean, you know, he's the real deal. Um, but he's a horrible presenter, and I think as much as anything, what I kept trying to get Malcolm to understand is that he has amazing stories, amazing, some of the very best, some that I use, but it needs to be more than just a series of stories. There has to be an overarching set of beliefs that tie it all together. And I kept telling him that part of the art of storytelling, part of the narrative has to be a theme. You can't just get up and just randomly talk about a story here, a story there. It needs some sort of connection point. An umbrella. A DNA will. thread of sorts. Yeah. And of course, his books do that. But he kept saying things like, well, people understand this. They just want to hear the story. I'm like, no, you got to tie a bow together. You got to put this in a package that we get. You need to give us context. You can't just assume that we all know your work. And so um, it was just one of those kind of things where we saw it ever so differently. Um, you know, we were asked to work with him on just one engagement. And so I knew it wouldn't continue on. I wish it would because he was an incredibly bright guy and I actually enjoyed him, but we didn't see it the same way. And I'm not surprised by that. Authors are often our toughest clients um, because they are so focused on the words, they forget that the written versus the oral expression are two very different things. So Malcolm was number one. The other one was the um, president of Jim Beam as in bourbon. He's still a president. And he's a very, you know, you, you, you don't get to that job without having some real skill set. But he had a certain belief about things, and we had a very different belief about things. Our belief was that you need to simplify and use parallels like metaphors and stories and more human-centered approaches to get audiences to understand. He wanted to tell people about data points and numbers of barrels of liquid in storage and all of these things that if you ask the audience, and I do mean 10 seconds after he said it, what did he just say? They wouldn't be able to tell you. And so we just saw it uh, two very different ways. And, um, you know, it didn't necessarily go poorly, but it didn't go well. His senior vice presidents, they loved the work we did. And that was a different animal, but the big boss, not so much. Well, thank you for uh, for sharing those. That, those are two fan fantastic examples. You know, you mentioned the Microsoft, uh, you know, acquisition of what is now known as PowerPoint uh, back. I think you said it was 1980, and yeah. you know, the world of storytelling and the world of presentations. People up on stage, whether it's a TED Talk, a Shark Tank, a company event. The explosion in audiovisual technology has been, well, nothing short of mind-blowing. 
And I would imagine that over your career so far, you've experienced a lot of different technologies and a lot of different, well, let's just call them presentation aids, things that can add effect to a storyteller delivering a message. Um, so much so that uh, if I'm not mistaken, you started a company uh, called Alter Ego uh, that is in the audiovisual space. So if I am indeed correct, maybe you can share just a little uh, of, a, of a backdrop as to you know what you were experiencing as a storytelling expert and helping people deliver the content of the message and how this uh, periphery industry of the AV world uh, began impacting your business that would then lead you to actually starting an audiovisual business of your own. I, I, you are the man. I might have to buy you an expensive dinner because it's like <laughs> the greatest sales opportunity ever. Um, big shout outs and hugs, Bri. Um, so yes, I appreciate the question. Alter Ego believes deeply in the power of transformation. And the name Alter Ego comes from a very interesting place. When I knew that I wanted to, to build this business, I was sitting on, yet again, one of my 9 million flights. I have no idea where I was coming or going to. But I was sitting there and had been for a while noodling on the branding around it. And I was listening to my favorite band, which is not the same as your favorite brand. Uh, and mine would be U2. I'm just dating myself even further. And I don't even know why, but it, it struck me thinking of Bono and how I am one of the few people that actually know his real name is Paul Hewson. And so, yeah, why, why is he called Bono? That's so strange, right? And then it just sort of, I started kind of thinking about all these other celebrities with names. And it just, it's an odd thing. People like LL Cool J is James Todd Smith. I mean, it's crazy. It's so boring. You know, LL Cool J, right? And Reginald Kenneth Dwight. It's, Elton John. I mean, it's nuts. And so what I started to realize is that what happens is these big rock stars, they actually are just like you and me. They are normal people who burp and put their pants on one leg at a time and sometimes have BO and probably have to take out the garbage or the do, do the dishes even. Even though they're celebrities, they are people first. However, when they are put in the proper environment, when they are transformed to a whole new place, they become Bono and LL Cool J and Elton John. And so I decided right then and there that we we're going to call the company Alter Ego AV because we believe in the power of transformation. The idea is, is that on the square planet side of the world, it's all of the soft skills, the storytelling, the delivery, the digital assets, the design side of things. What Alter Ego would provide would be the skeleton. So many meetings and events, and you've been to plenty and MC plenty and, and are part of so many, you realize that the skeleton of these events is often AV. You need lights and sound and a crew to run things, and it's often given almost a cursory glance. What I wanted was people to know that one hand can wash the other, that if you had this great skeleton, this structure in place of the proper AV, it would allow you to transform that space into something that could give you the stage to deliver your message more effectively. And so it really just was one of those things that I saw an opportunity on both sides. I had had um, a buddy of mine, and I say buddy, was, he was a first and foremost a work colleague, but we had been working together for so long as uh, he was our technical director that we would bring in to help when our clients needed these kind of services. Of course, his name too is Brian. And so I asked Brian um, to just con to be my technical director over and over and over again. And at one point, he said to me something along the lines of, you know, you could do this different. You could turn this into a business. And then we started talking. And the next thing you know, we co-founded Alter Ego. And so it's one of those things where we can offer our clients um, really two sides of, of one coin or just a single side. If you need just AV, we can absolutely help you with that. If you need just presentation sides of the world, we can help you with that. And so it's a really interesting thing that when the two come together, it's a very powerful solution. Yeah, I I, uh, I appreciate the shout out for teeing you up on this one, but I think there's a, a, an interesting uh, message in here that uh, is is certainly worth hitting on, and that is that you can dress up through AV 
as much as you want, but if the content of the story, if the belief isn't being told in a way that's going to accomplish the no feel do, there's likely no AV that can really compensate for uh, a, a, a less than fantastic story being told that models to uh, the square planet, a sausage grinder, as you put it. You know what? I really, really deeply sincerely appreciate you saying that because that's exactly the point that we try to make all the time. Far too frequently, people spend all kinds of time and attention on all the wrong whoop-de-doo, like slides and videos and all these things that just don't matter. My favorite way to explain this, and I would really highly encourage anyone because it's very fun, it's such a great watch, is anyone that hears this is they should fire up the YouTube and put in Michael Bay CES Meltdown. Uh, Michael Bay, the movie director. It was the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. I believe the year was 2014. And you will see the world's biggest AV malfunction. And you will see just the perfect demonstration of a guy who didn't do the right work. He had no idea what he stood for. He had no belief. And he clearly had never answered no feel than do. What he was relying on was the technology. And technology is often a mechanical or computer-based thing. And I don't know about you, but I've had to restart my phone from time to time. I've had to power down my computer from time to time. I've had appliances at home break. I've had cars that need to go to the shop. Things happen. And typically, they happen at the worst possible time. For Michael Bay, who's such a putz of a director as it is, I love that this happened to him, he had all of his content on a teleprompter and the teleprompter failed. And so he's on this big, huge stage. He's there for Samsung. And I'm talking like two minutes in. It's basically he gets welcomed. He's talking to this guy who's the VP at Samsung. The next thing you know, the prompter fails. Michael Bay literally walks off the stage. He just goes, sorry, excuse me, sorry, and just bails. Wow. And it's, it's just hard to believe. You have to see it. Um, and so it's one of those kind of things where you're right. We really, really, really believe in the work we're doing at Alter Ego. We want that skeleton to always be sound, to be proper, and to be great for our clients. But we know that if you don't have the square planet side of the equation, you got nothing. You got a lot of cool lights and sound and fun stuff, but you got to have that content right. You got to have the ability to deliver it effectively. Otherwise, the skeleton doesn't matter. You know, I there was a. It happened to me once, uh, certainly more than once, but once uh, where it, the, the stakes were high. I was given a presentation at a conference. It was happened to have been in Chicago, and about twenty uh, slides in, uh, two particular slides, and I don't know why the graphics that I worked so hard on just weren't there. They just weren't there, and. Thankfully, I had rehearsed that particular presentation so many times that I didn't skip a beat. Somebody ran up to the projector and somebody ran up to my laptop and they were trying to fix it. And I just kept on cranking as if nothing went wrong. And uh, boy, uh, talk about chance favors the prepared. That was uh, I, I, I was never so happy with doing the proper amount of rehearsal before I actually hit the stage so that that snafu did not stop me in my tracks like it uh, sounds like it did, Mr. Bay. I'm proud of you for that because that is a not, not an easy situation. My favorite story along the lines is really great. So one of our clients is a guy who's very well known in the kind of corporate circles. His name is Marvelous Mark. His name is Mark Camp. He goes by Marvelous Mark. He's a Las Vegas-based kind of entertainer, MC, keynote presenter kind of guy. I've known Mark for forever. And he was just recently telling me this story. I don't know where he was. It might have been Las Vegas, but there was a guy on before him. And I don't know how they did the production, but it clearly sounds like it was fairly low on the scale of, you know, big AV because the guy before him had a Mac that he was driving his slides from. And then Mark comes out and he had his Mac that he was driving his slides from. And, and Mark is this big, larger-than-life entertainer, and he does this thing with drumsticks, and the entire crowd, everyone has their own set of drumsticks, and he's doing this thing, and he notices the guy before him is on all fours, crawling in front of the edge of the stage, and grabs his laptop. Clearly, he's probably catching a flight or whatever, but what Mark is trying to do while still give his presentation 
is say to the guy, dude, you grabbed the wrong laptop. You just <laughs> took my slide. <laughs> and so it's one of those things where he's trying to keep this audience engaged, stay on track without his technology, explain to the dude on all fours, like, hey, buddy, you're taking my laptop. And so I wish I was there. I wish I could have seen it. But basically what he said was once the guy realized what was what, it was too late. Mark's slides were toast. His computer was powered down. The whole thing was just kind of a wreck, and he had to keep going. And, you know, it's one of those things where guys like Marvelous, guys like me who get paid to do keynote presentations, you, the show must go on, right? You right. have to know your content. Well, using this Michael Bay thing, Michael Bay was paid real money to be uh, this this spokesperson for Samsung. Not my small, meager fee keynote presentation money. I'm talking big money. Right. And he crashed and burned and was unable to recover. So I'm proud of people like you. I'm proud of people like Marvelous Mark. I'm proud of those who realize that, yeah, it's nice to have those things. I, I, you know, we've got a design team that builds slides for me and our clients. We've got a whole office in Omaha, Nebraska, dedicated exclusively to doing that kind of stuff. But yet, I think it's really, really, really okay to have none of those visuals, to have none of those technology components, to just simply know your material so well that you can get up and talk to people. That's the sign of a real pro. Well, man, you and I could probably uh, wax poetic here on a variety of topics and in wanting to show some level uh, of recognition to the time you've uh, invested with me and obviously uh, our audience who uh, may want to get on to other things after they've listened to us ramble on for about uh, whatever it's been here. It feels like uh, a few minutes, but I'm sure it's been approaching an hour. Uh, I think in summary, there's a couple things that I took away. Uh, and I think, you know, in answering the no field do, uh, I want to share with you uh, uh, three things in particular. Number one, um, make waves. This is about understanding what it is you believe, knowing what it is you believe, and being very okay with making waves in support of what it is you believe. Second thing, uh, understand what your why is, which I think is, uh, I guess, uh, part B of the making waves. Those making waves are something that need to be rooted in a core set of beliefs, a core purpose. And finally, the three questions. What do you want the audience to know? What do you want the audience to feel? And what do you want the audience to do? If you can answer those three questions, Boy, you are certainly well on your way to delivering a great message, whether or not it makes you the world's greatest communicator, probably takes some practice like anything, but you will certainly be successful in delivering a great message, whether it's from a stage, as you put it in a blog, on a video, on a podcast, whatever, in a, in a conversation amongst two people, really answering the questions of no feel and do, uh, Bri, man, uh, you know, I did read on your bio somewhere that uh, you call yourself an enemy of winter, yet you are talking to me from Chicago. Now, it is August, and I know the weather is quite glorious there. But as I understand the weather, the weather sucks here in August. <laughs> it, the humidity is stupid. I can't wait to get back to the desert. I, I'm in, man. Get me out of here. Well, you know, you can't call yourself an enemy of winter if you're going to continue to spend your time in a climate where winter is a good seven, eight months out of the year. So I'm just I'm going to call you on that one. And really, I'm going to throw down the challenge here. And uh and maybe I need to call your wife, but I think it's time you guys permanently settle here uh, in, in the Arizona desert and make this home for good. Well, I, I would tell you that my driver's license is an Arizona driver's license. When people say, where is home? I mean, like just, just a week ago, we were on a little mini vacation. We were up in Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. People would say, where are you from? Arizona. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I am... I am a, just a, a blip of time of my life has been spent in Arizona, but yet I am very quick to say that is home. And so um, Chicago will always be where I am from, but Arizona is my home, and I am very proud and excited about that. I'll tell you the thing that's interesting. Um, the older I get, the more people I talk to about this, I am not alone. This weather thing is real, and it's not just things like the humidity or the heat. 
I think the thing that's so um, interesting about being now a, a, a proud Arizonan is the sun actually matters to my mood. And yeah, it's hot. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure you're feeling it right now. It's smoking hot out there. But it's so much better than the gloomy gray. I mean, this morning is a great example. I typically ride my bike or walk to my office. Um, but I got up this morning. I was trying to be at my office before 7 a.m. And I had to Uber here because the just ridiculous openness of cloudy gray, cats and dog, lightning, rain pouring down. And it's been gray all day. That just brings you down. I, I, it's the sun more than anything. And so I'm happy to be from the AZ, man. I'm in. You, you had me. I'm good. All right. Well, we're, we're ready to welcome you back. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll drive by the neighborhood and make sure nobody uh, graffitied your house. Uh, you know. Well, I appreciate that. And, <laughs> and along the idea of no feel and do, what I want you to do is pick me up from the airport. Can you be there? You know, about 10 p.m. on the 23rd? Could use uh, a ride home. You know, I, I, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. I guess it depends whether or not you're going to bring a set of uh, these orange uh, Lego cufflinks for me. I, I know that that might be no, cheating my we, way into the royal order. Nope. but uh, That's right. I'll just, I'll just get a cap. Thank you very much. you got to <laughs> earn them, buddy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Burkhardt, if you want to learn more about Brian, uh, I, I would encourage you squareplanet.com. And as he said, think round earth. It's actually squareplanet.com. And if you are in the market for AV services, alteregoav.com. Uh, Brian Burkhart, Brian, great having you, man. Thanks for spending so much time with me and very much look forward to our next conversation. I very much appreciate the opportunity, Brian. I wish you all kinds of success, and I hope your listeners enjoyed this as much as I did. Thanks, buddy. I hope you enjoyed hearing Brian's story. If you're interested in a transcribed version of this episode, or you want to listen to more episodes of the Built on Purpose podcast, please visit yscouts.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you'd like to recommend someone as a guest for the show, please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.